Today, we're going to talk about a dark time in the French penal system. For this piece of history, we're not taking you to France, but to South America, where France set up labor camps in French Guiana. Little was known to the public in France about what was happening in the camps. Before their arrival, those ordered there probably wouldn't have imagined that the almost 4,000-mile, three-week journey they were about to take would be their last. The majority of them would not see France again. Hi, True Crime fans. You're tuning into Coffee, Murder, and Mystery, a true crime podcast where we discuss murder, mystery, and the supernatural. Don't forget to hit subscribe. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Melissa Lancaster. I wanted to ask you for a favor. We're trying really hard to grow our audience. If you could tell a friend about our podcast or share something on social media, it would mean the world to us. With all the big name podcasts out there, the biggest struggle that smaller podcasts face is just getting the word out. It has been a long time since we have done an episode on a prison, and I, for one, love these episodes. I love the dark history. In the history of the prison that we are talking about today, Devil's Island has a very dark history, and it starts out in France, where the prisons were becoming overcrowded, as many prisons were in the 1800s, and they wanted to try something different. And we saw this a lot in other countries too, in the United States, like with the Eastern State Penitentiary. Everyone was looking to try something new to deter people from crime and stop the overcrowding. So in 1852, Emperor Napoleon III established a penal colony in French Guiana. The journey to this piece of France took three weeks by sea. It was almost 4,000 miles. Prisoners had to wait to take the journey because the boats only departed every six months. When they arrived, they had never seen jungle like this before. It was beautiful, swampy jungle full of palm trees. And I can only imagine so many mosquitoes. The first camp that they created on the mainland of French Guiana was called the Banya. Although there was land around them and local people in the area, in the local villages, there was nowhere for the men to escape the camp. Venturing out into the jungle unprepared was not a good idea. Therefore, France felt that they could put the men to work without them escaping. But in 1954, only two years after the camp was created, France instituted a law that they called the Law of Doublage. When inmates would arrive at the Banyo, they found out that if their sentence was less than eight years, it would be doubled. They would spend their original sentence in the Banyo, but would be forced to stay in French Guiana until their sentence was doubled. If the men had originally been sentenced to more than eight years, they would remain in the banyo for life, basically exiled. You may be thinking, some of them, those who were sentenced to less than eight years, 
had a chance to get home. Unfortunately, this was rare. The men were released to live free of the labor camp, even though they weren't really free. With no roof over their head, no job, no food, not only could the men not afford the almost 4,000-mile trip back to France, but they would often reoffend just to be provided with food and shelter. It didn't take long for the inmates to start realizing their chances of getting home were slim to none. This left the inmates feeling hopeless and worthless. They had nothing to continue to work for on the banyo with no prospect of going home back to their normal lives. The penal colony, which had been created to reform men, was not working. And with no science or DNA technology, sometimes innocent men were ending up in the banyo. Speaking of DNA technology, Mel science kits are the perfect way to nurture your future scientist. Mel Science offers age-appropriate monthly subscription boxes that combine hands-on experiments with VR and AR technology. These boxes nurture your children's natural interest in science with fun, hands-on experiments to engage, serious, detailed explanations to learn, and VR, AR technologies to teach your children to dive deeper. Based on your child's age, you can choose the Mel Kids, Mel Physics, or Mel Chemistry box. My 11-year-old just did his first Mel Physics experiment. My 11-year-old just did his first Mel Physics experiment on Thursday, and he absolutely loved it. He loved it so much that he can't wait to do the next experiment. But my daughter talked him into waiting to do the next one. Because even though she's 19, she wants to do the experiment with him. Luckily, he received three experiments to hold him over until he gets his next box. I want to thank Mel Science for sponsoring today's episode because we love sponsors for things that we care about. So head over to MelScience.com and use promo code CMM to receive 60% off your first box when you subscribe. This promo code has a one-month expiration date. So grab it up fast and help us build the next generation of heroes. After the men arrived at the banyo, they would be searched, measured, and given a number. That number would then solely serve as their name. Based upon their build and their measurements, they would then be assigned a job. They often cleaned the villages where the locals lived, cut down trees, and made roads. With the technology that we had in the 1800s, this was a lot of manual labor. I watch documentaries where you can just see men pulling these huge chunks of tree. They would be chained and often forced to work almost naked to deter escape. After weeks of hard labor, through exhaustion and sometimes sickness, with little to no chance of freedom, the prisoners became hard to control. They started engaging in orgies, abusing new inmates, and even murdering each other. The guards were placed in housing on French Guiana with their families. They would go home at night 
to their families and live their lives and return in the morning to find two prisoners dead per bunkhouse. And the prisoners hadn't just been murdered. They had been disemboweled. And the reason for this is the prisoners had a small capsule where they would conceal something that they had gotten, a small knife, money, something they wanted to keep. And they would place it in their body through the back door. And this left them vulnerable to disembowelment while they slept. It was said that if you weren't bad when you arrived to the banyo, you would become bad from living in the banyo. And although the chance of successful escape was low, it didn't stop men from trying. These men had nothing to lose. They would steal away with nothing into the jungle. The conditions were harsh and there was nothing to eat. Some inmates ended up murdering another who had attempted to escape with them just for food. Off of the French Guiana mainland, out in the shark-infested ocean, there sat three islands, ironically named the Salvation Islands. St. Joseph Island was the biggest and had the solitary confinement area. Men often went crazy from the conditions there, and it was known as the Devourer of Men. Royal Island was the prison administration center, reception of new inmates, and housed the warden in a grand estate on a hill. Near the warden's home, there was a square patch of land that housed the guillotine. It sat waiting for anyone who harmed a local or a guard. Isle Royale also had the Crimson Barracks, which got their name from the violence among prisoners and the amount of blood spilled there. The smallest island, Devil's Island, was for political prisoners and was known to have the best conditions. But the name of this island stuck with the world, and the whole area, the whole camp, became known as Devil's Island. There was at least one small island on Isle Royale, but it was for guards and their families. Inmates were wrapped in a cloth, placed on a boat, and taken out to shark-infested waters to be dumped. It's said that the sharks were so used to this routine that they learned to gather there for their meal. The prison conditions were not the only thing plaguing inmates. Working, almost naked in the jungle, chained in swamps, in humid, boggy areas was hard on their bodies. Disease claimed many lives. Inmates often perished from diseases such as malaria or tuberculosis. Some inmates were so desperate for a ticket back to France that they would purchase the saliva of an infected person and place it in their mouth. When doctors would swab their mouth and look under a microscope, they would see indications of the disease. Unfortunately, many of them contracted the illnesses that they were trying to fake. Although most escape attempts were unsuccessful, a few inmates would make it to local villages where they would go to the door of a local who would feed them. One local said that they could not refuse food to someone who would otherwise die. He described the lives of the inmates as very hard. 40% of inmates died within their first year at the French penal camps. The worst conditions were on St. Joseph Island. This was where inmates that continuously committed crimes or attempted escape were placed. 
and inmates were so secluded in the reclusion block that they were not allowed to speak. Their cells were made of high concrete walls so that guards could monitor them from above by walking along a catwalk. They would just look down into the open-top cells to make sure that the inmate wasn't trying to escape. This left them vulnerable to the elements. Imagine having the sun beat down on you in South America all day. There was no protection from mosquitoes. And the worst part was the seclusion. Solitary confinement in the reclusion block was not meant to reform inmates, but solely to punish them. Men would sit alone in those cells from five months up to five years. The mortality rate on St. Joseph Island was 70%. Alfred Dreyfus was an army officer charged with treason. He was sent to the political prisoners area on Devil's Island in 1895. He was actually the only inmate on that island at this time. Alfred was Jewish and a victim of anti-Semitism. He was the only Jewish officer in the general staff headquarters when an unknown spy was found to be passing information about artillery parts. He was suspected and charged based on a ripped-up letter found in a wastebasket by a German spy. Dreyfus was falsely convicted. This became known as the Dreyfus Affair. He was confined to a 13 by 13 stone hut, isolated and harshly treated by guards. Evidence was presented a year after his conviction that cleared him, but they did not free him. It was his story that first brought attention to the penal colony. This was when the public got their first wind of the name Devil's Island that ended up a reference to the entire penal colony. Alfred Dreyfus was one of the men who eventually returned home to France. Broken. Francis Lagrange was born in 1900 and spent about 18 years at the Bagno. He was a counterfeiter. He copied paintings, rare stamps, and his favorite thing to counterfeit was banknotes. He was known in the Bagno as Flag, F.A.L.G. He was able to get better living conditions and food by painting the guards' rooms. Because of his escape attempts, he did do time on St. Joseph Island and Royal Island. On Royal Island, he decorated the chapel and some walls in the hospital. He survived until the colony of work camps ended and went on to paint depictions of the work camps to show others what life was like in the Bagno. Henri Papillon Charrier, if I'm, I hope I'm saying that right, was a French writer who was convicted of murder in 1931. Henry denied the murder of Roland Le Petit, who was a pimp. Henry wrote a book called Papillion, there was also a movie, in which he describes his time at the Bagno and his escape attempts. In November of 1933, Henry and two other prisoners remained on the run for 31 days before they were captured by Colombian police. But that wouldn't be Henry's only escape attempt. Henry tried again, fleeing one rainy night. He found a tribe of indigenous people who took him in. He stayed with the tribe for months before leaving. Leaving the tribe ultimately led to Henry's capture, and Henry was placed in solitary confinement. 
After Henry was released from solitary confinement, he tried multiple times unsuccessfully to escape. But in 1941, Henry made it. Henry and another inmate made makeshift coconut rafts. And just so you know, this is shark infested, very rough water. There's times when ships are not even allowed to port at the islands because of the dangerous water. Unfortunately, Henry's companion drowned in quicksand. Henry met up with some other prisoners and they bought a boat and sailed to Georgetown, British Guiana. But after almost a year, Henry was bored. He met another group of convicts and they bought a new boat and had intentions of reaching Honduras. But the group sailed right into a cyclone and was only able to reach Venezuela. This led to their capture, and they were all sent to a brutal penal settlement in El Dorado. But Henry was released after a year and given Venezuelan citizenship after five. His escape attempts paid off. But French historians say that a lot of Henry's accounts are either exaggerated or possibly even taken from other inmates. But the fact still remains that Henry was able to escape the Banyo. Clement Duval was a member of the 5th Infantry in the Franco-Perusian War, where he was wounded and contracted smallpox. He spent the next 10 years of his life in a hospital. He wasn't able to work, and so he turned to theft. In 1886, Duval broke into a mansion of a Parisian socialite and stole 15,000 francs before setting the house on fire, apparently by accident. He was caught trying to sell the stolen goods and ended up stabbing a police officer multiple times during his arrest. The officer did survive. He was originally condemned to death, but his sentence was commuted to hard labor on Devil's Island. Duval spent the next 14 years at the Banyo and attempted escape 20 times. Finally, in April of 1901, Duval and some fellow inmates set out on a rickety boat. He eventually reached New York City and lived there until his death at 85. René Belbenois was born in Paris. He was abandoned by his mother. She went on to work as a teacher for the children of the Tsar of Russia. Rene's father was a chief conductor of the Paris Orléans Express. He wasn't home enough to raise young Rene. The boy was sent to live with his grandparents when he was a toddler. Unfortunately, Rene's grandparents passed away when he was only 12, where he was sent to live with his uncle, who worked at a popular nightclub, the Dead Rat Café. After serving in World War I, René found jobs that just didn't pay enough, and he ended up in a life of thievery. When he worked as a valet in the Chateau Ben Ali, possibly, he stole the Countess's pearls and jumped on a train to Paris. He was quickly arrested and for this crime sent to the Banya. René had multiple unsuccessful escape attempts, including one where him and nine other inmates stole a log canoe. Unfortunately, the canoe capsized. The men escaped into the jungle. After three days, they decided to return and set back out for French Guiana. 
Eventually, they found local Indians who sheltered them, but also gave them to Dutch authorities, and they sent the escapees back to the colony. René Benoit continued to try to escape and was sent from island to island for incarceration. In 1934, René officially became one of the free prisoners on the Banyo, so he was still not allowed to return to France. He was given $200 by a man making a movie in the area and decided to again try to escape the Banyo. He and five other men obtained a boat and were able to reach Trinidad. And Trinidad at this time had a policy of helping French Guiana escapees. Trinidad allowed the men to stay with them for three weeks. They gave them new supplies and even a new boat. Unfortunately, the men ran aground on a beach in Colombia. A local general fed them, but also took them to a local military prison. A local journalist made a deal with Benoit. He would help him escape, but only if he gave him information about the prison conditions for his writing. René stowed away in a ship in 1937 and made it to Los Angeles. René Benoit wrote a memoir called Dry Guillotine in 1938. Counterproductively, the book brought attention to his situation. He was told to leave the United States. He went to Mexico and a year later tried to come back to the U.S. He was arrested in Texas and sentenced to 15 months in prison. Eventually, he did get this sorted out and and acquired a valid passport. René Benoit ended up working for Warner Brothers as an advisor on a film in 1944. Casey Sayote was convicted of the murder of his boss and imprisoned at the Banyo in 1933. He was convicted along with his two cousins. One of the men was guilty of the crime but none of them would speak up against their own family member. This means all three of them were convicted and sent to the Banyo. Casey survived 20 years in the Banyo after yellow fever and hard labor. He was freed in 1953 when the French were forced to close the prison. He returned to Algeria and held a position in public office until his death at 83 in 1990. His son, Bashir Sayoti, has been trying to get his father pardoned. He claims the only reason his father did not speak up against who murdered his boss was because he didn't want to see his own family member face the guillotine. Imagine being in a situation where you might think that one of your family members deserves the punishment that they're going to get but you don't want your own words to be the reason that they face the guillotine. That's just speculation on my part. I don't know if that's what happened. Bashar is trying to get his father pardoned after vowing to not allow his father's name to go down in history as a murderer. I've told you some stories of the men that were able to endure the conditions at the Banyo, Devil's Island, and were able to return to France. But here's a different type of story. The story of a hero, French journalist Albert Londra. Albert is a celebrated journalist in France. The French Pulitzer is named after him. He was known for his groundbreaking humanitarian journalism. According to the Irish Times, 
His newspaper articles and books highlighted injustices and denounced abuses of power at home and abroad. He dealt with many difficult issues, including prisoners' rights, psychiatric patients' rights, the white slave trade, prostitution and forced labor in France's colonies. The French bagno was basically a secret. What went on there was basically a secret. The law of doubling was basically a secret. No one was allowed to visit there. But Albert had enough political connections to get himself in. When he returned from his visit, he wrote lengthy front-page articles talking about all the injustices and abuses in the French penal colonies in the bagno. According to the Irish Times, his stories read like a cross between an exotic travel book and a detective novel. People in France followed them avidly. They wanted to know every week what was going to happen next. This brought attention to the conditions at the bagno. At the end of the series, in front of all of France, who he had so smartly grabbed the attention of, he published an open letter to the minister of the colonies in which he called for the penal system to be reformed. This is credited to bringing an end to the colonies. After 101 years of operation, the dry guillotine, as it was known by his inhabitants, closed in 1953. More than 80,000 men were sent there and very little returned. There was a small amount of men that chose to stay in French Guiana and live out their lives there, maybe due to shame or just the fact that they were broken and didn't want to return home to France. Or maybe they had fallen in love with a local. Some married and carried on with their lives there. I hope you enjoyed this episode on Devil's Island. I enjoyed it. I learned a ton. It's amazing what men will do to each other when they're desperate. Stay safe and remember... Evil people are everywhere. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Coffee, Murder, and Mystery. You can find us on the web at www.coffeemurderandmystery.com. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we also have a YouTube channel. All references for today's podcast are available in our show notes. If you enjoyed our show, please consider giving us an Apple Podcast five-star rating, sharing our show with your friends, and leaving a review. This helps us by allowing more people to find our show. If you would like to support our show with a financial contribution, please consider joining our Patreon. Joining our Patreon at the $5 level will give you a bonus episode on the second week of the month, as well as a second bonus episode on the fourth week of the month. Or go to buymeacoffee.com for a one-time contribution. We appreciate all of our listeners. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. Thank you so much for listening. The information provided in this podcast is solely of our opinion and based upon research that we have conducted via the internet. If you feel that we have represented something inaccurately or unfairly, you can send us an email at coffeemurdermystery at gmail.com. Thanks for your support.